To That's Orgasmic. You are joined by your host Emily Duncan, and today I'm joined with Alicia, who is a solar-powered queer woman, sunflower lover, and a cancer. She's an occupational therapist and the co-host of the sexual health and education podcast, Here to Fuck Spiders. Alicia is passionate about reducing stigmas relating to sexuality and fostering connections for others. So welcome to That's Orgasmic, Alicia. Thank you. Nice to be here. Hello. (laughs) Now, there is so much I want to talk to you about today. Um, Things that we have brought up, you know, before we clicked record. But first, I'd love to talk about your role as an occupational therapist because I haven't really gone into that field on the podcast before. And I just wanted to like talk about how occupational therapy intersects with sexual health to begin with. Yeah, perfect. Um, so I guess I'll start like, what do you know about occupational therapy to begin with? Okay, great question. So from what I know, um, it's kind of like helping people, I guess, like live their lives and like adjusting things within their life to help help do it if that makes sense like that is such a bad example but I like I know a couple OT so I guess like you know if they have I don't know struggle to like do a certain action helping them you know get the tools to be able to do that if yeah yeah. yeah. I guess like the way like the simplest way I can think to explain like OT is so broad as well so it's like one of those things that I remember in first year, they made us make a video about like, what is OT? And everyone did exactly what you did and just like crumbled and was like, we help with the things you want to do. Like, <laughs> um, And so I guess like now the way that I look at it is lots, lots of people think about occupation as like being their job. Um, but for OTs, like we look at occupation as being anything that can add meaning to your life or anything that you find valuable. So like, I guess it could be anything as simple as like being able to go to the toilet or feed yourself or get dressed um, all the way to uh, more complex things like, you know, navigating work or certain duties at work or even maybe going shopping or any, like any sort of task really that could be important to you. So then it's like looking at the fact that OTs are essentially there to help you do those things. So you might have, illness or injury or disability that makes certain tasks difficult for you and then that's where OTs can come in and sort of um, strategize with you and collaborate to find the most functional way for you to do things like we're all about function we want to make things like work the best that they can to essentially get someone to live the life that makes them happy like in the most broadest terms so in that perspective then it's looking at people as sexual beings is considering sex as being one of those occupations that's valuable to you, you know? Um, And it's like being able to break down all of those sort of things. And like, if you look at OT, like all the ways that they could help you with that. So some of the ways I sort of like wrote some things down because I was like, what are like the practical ways that we can talk about it? Um, One of the simple ways I think you can think about it is almost like the mechanics of sex. So if you just think about like the physical acts of sex, all the different things you can do, it can be like helping someone to be able to navigate that. Maybe they've recently had a surgery 
And so then it's like, you've got, you know, if someone's had like a hip surgery or something, there's precautions that you can't do. And so then it's like, okay, so we can't do any of these sort of thrusting actions or we can't lift your knee up past 90 degrees, whatever it is. So then it's like, it might be talking about, so from a functional point of view, these positions, we can't do these for a little while. These are some options that you could do. Maybe there's some equipment that could make it more comfortable for them. Um, I guess that's another area as well is like sex and tech, which is so much fun, um, is like considering sexual aids, which is just like your sex toys and things like that, to make sex more accessible for people. So if you've got maybe certain disabilities or certain levels of function, you might not have like great sort of like hand grips or um, fine motor control or dexterity, things like that. Um, you then can find like help the client to find toys or sexual aids that allow them to access sex in the ways that they find meaningful is like really quite a big thing. Um, and then just like there, there's a huge span, I think, in disability as far as making sure that people have access to sex so that like whatever they might find enjoyable, whether that be self-pleasure or navigating relationships, sort of like being the gateway to them being able to access that because you know, as you're well aware, is it's such like a highly stigmatised topic. And so even within, you know, maybe group homes or even in family dynamics for like younger teens, often it's the families that are like, we're not sure, how, like, how do we communicate about this? We've noticed that they've started maybe like self-pleasuring, but it's like in inappropriate places. So then like our role might also just be about like educating on like public and private spaces, public and private body parts, um, and sort of like even just like quite a big education role for families and for clients. Like that's one of the big things is talking about things like consent, talking about sort of safe ways to touch and like just like normalizing those stories, just the way that you explore any other part of your body, like sort of making sure that you use the right anatomical terms for things so that it's not confusing for people who might have like quite concrete thinking, like just trying to make it as simple as possible um, and try not to put your own bias onto whoever is learning about it. Cause often like the clients, they don't, they don't know about it. So it's just like trying to come from quite a fresh perspective to say like, you know, this is something that you might be wanting to explore. These are some options we have, um, you know, making sure if they're under 18 under 16 that you, you're talking to the parents the parents are you know giving consent about these things as well um but yeah I guess there's some ways to manage it it could also be like managing fatigue or pain within sex so it might be like talking about ways to make sure that you know if you notice that you're less fatigued in the mornings maybe the mornings are the times when you would then like prioritize like having sexual play and it could be sort of that sort of more fatigue management plan, but that can still be like an OT's role as far as supporting someone navigate that. Um, and then something else that I guess is like kind of different, but still fits into that is I, I have like some friends who have worked with clients and the clients have been trying to find clothing that's more affirming for their gender. And so mm. like their role sometimes is like helping them go shopping and just like being the sort of the safe person to be like, okay, like what parts of you know your gender feel comfortable for you what sort of clothing do we want to find and so like that activity of shopping and then being able to present themselves in everyday life like that's super meaningful it then makes their mental health like feel better so like that's something that an OT can also provide support in like there's so many so many things but I think it's just like 
if you consider almost like sky's the limit, it's just that we need to, we, we can and we do have the opportunity to often explore these things with people, but it is tricky with, you know, like restrictions on like maybe NDIS plans or within workspaces because it is just like still quite a taboo topic. So like navigating that while still absolutely respecting like whatever the client's after and making sure that you're not, you know, working with vulnerable people in a way that doesn't make them feel comfortable or safe, like all very client-led, making sure it's the things that are important to them as well. Yeah, absolutely. That made so much sense and there was just so much to to it. Like, oh, my gosh, there was literally like, like it all just makes so much sense in the ways that you can go and work within OT and the thing that just comes to my mind is like, we need so many more people working in this space because even just all the different elements you talked about yeah. then, there could literally be a specific person for each of them. Mm-hmm. And I can almost guarantee there's not. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's just, there's so, so much. And I think it's also good for the people listening to hear that big one to just show how, just how much. Like how diverse it can be. How diverse it is. And because even an example came to mind, I remember during one of my sexology classes, we were um, talking about disability and sex. And they were like, sometimes, like when people think of disability and sex, they obviously, I feel like they kind of have their straight away their ideas of what a disabled person looks like and, you know, how that intersects with sex if they even think about the two things. And they were like, well, there's times, like literally when you said about the hip replacement, they were talking about, yeah, there was somebody in their early 20s and -hmm. they were a very sexually active person. All of a sudden they couldn't have sex how they were used to, but nobody was really teaching them how to do it. And Mm -hmm. then their hip specialist did actually kind of try and help with that. But we kind of had the discussion of, were they only doing that because they're a young male in their 20s? Would they be having that conversation with an 80-year-old that's come in and had, uh, like, their hip replacement? Like, just where these conversations are taking place and where these services are being offered because I imagine also for a lot of people, they've got to search for this information or search for the help and ask for it. It's not just something that's been, like, addressed or being like, oh, have you talked, like, about this aspect? What Do you need any help in this area? Absolutely. And I think like that's such a big thing. There's so many populations, the way that you mentioned how like would we have addressed an older population? Like there's so many population groups that I think we consider to be almost sexless. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, lots of people consider people with disabilities to be too vulnerable and to not have to not be sexual beings. And that's just not the case for lots of people. And, you know, the same in any spectrum of age or illness or anything like some people may not want to have sex, but there's a bigger portion of people that I think if you gave them the safe opportunity to discuss it they would be interested about it like but of course like in those scenarios it's also it is making it accessible to them like you're scared you're vulnerable you don't know who you can talk to about these things it's not the first thing you think of to be like hey like you know maybe you've just had a big back injury you're not paralyzed from your waist down it's like how am I meant to access pleasure I can't do the same things I used to do before. What am I, you know, like, and you wouldn't even know who to go to about those things. And so I think that's why like a few of my friends were like quite passionate about this space. And it is just like trying to even just create awareness that like, this is something we can offer and like making sure that it is, yeah, I don't know, like understood and people like 
get that that's an option. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's 100% like when you have clients, like, you know, just giving them the opportunity to talk about it. Because for so many people, unless somebody actually addressed it, it's not something that one might have even crossed their mind, two, mm. they don't know how to talk about. Like, there's just such a need for it, such yeah. a need for it. I'd love to just see a whole clinic with like, OTs in this space working with sexologists and like public floor physios like just the whole works all in the one place I would love to have like almost like a holistic sex clinic is like I feel like that's the dream is like you've got your sexual health nurses you've got your OTs get that can like help people like have glorious sex life you've got physios who can help with like your pelvic physios and I'm sure there's other things in their role that allow them to do you know things in this space as well you've got social workers that can help with lots of other aspects of it like there's just so much support that can be provided to people um and I think it's just like you know it is such a tricky thing as far as navigating it you also don't want to encourage like you don't encourage people to be like oh you always have to ask your OTs about this because if you if you do ask someone and they're not comfortable talking about it that can then also be almost more damaging because you never Mm -hmm. want to be you know imparting someone else's shame or stigma because it's not something we got a lot of training about either like it's something that I'm very passionate about. And so I've done all my own research and I do lots of upskilling in this area, but there's heaps of other people who, if you've just done like the OT course, which is, it's an extensive, you know, it's a four year degree. Um, I think we had maybe one lecture that went over, you know, I think it was actually like, it was a sort of like older people and sex aids was like the lecture. And it was so interesting. It was the only lecture that was backed onto an assessment. So you actually never debriefed over, like never debriefed about it. And we never talked about it. Um, And it's, it's something that like, even within the like OT field, I think lots of people still struggle to know or like to navigate what's appropriate and what's not appropriate because Mm -hmm. lots of people are just, they're very scared about sex yeah and because they haven't been given the education in Mm. the first place outside of the course as well Mm. and like I've spoken to a couple people in Geelong and they want to get into this space as an OT but they're just like how do I do it like Mm. and the course at Deakin I'm fairly certain hardly even touches on it like it'd probably be the same an hour if anything Mm. and it's honestly the same in all the professions like I know like doctors get like literally like a couple hours on it the same with psychologists and it's like Mm -hmm. we need our medical professionals need to know about this like this is such it impacts so much of our lives we're sexual beings Mm -hmm. and the fact that they're just not given the tools to discuss these things is so damaging so damaging and I think that's the thing is like the cost of not discussing it is so damaging and can be so harmful to people like it, it just is an area that potentially could be so beneficial and with the absence of it, it doesn't mean, you know, it's the classic thing of like, Oh, if we just don't talk about it, it'll go away. And I think it's one of those things that it's like, the more we don't talk about it, the more harm that occurs, you know, like if we don't know how to have even just like LGBTQI plus inclusive care, like how many people are then damaged from that? You know, I, I know that mm-hmm. there's, lots of instances of people being dead named in hospitals or not having their genders respected. And it's so tricky because it's like, it is just like a basic human right. But as healthcare professionals, if you're on the other end and you, you don't, maybe you've never sought out this knowledge or you don't understand, or the documentation says one thing, like it's, it's not been written down, you know, in a patient centered way, 
it is so it's so hard to go like well the blame is sort of on everyone to be able to hold themselves accountable to provide the the best sort of client care you know yeah no absolutely and like even just simple things like say like for instance somebody's in hospital and you're the doctor the nurse whatever just walking in and introducing yourself with your pronouns and then asking well, like what are yours just to reaffirm and yeah, make absolutely. sure that like like it's just such little things and I also think when talking about like disability a lot of people just assume like one they're not sexual two that they don't fit within the LGBTIQA plus community like that it for some reason that they just can't Mm. They just don't, they don't belong in those areas or like they just, they don't have the capacity to identify within them, which is just so, so wrong and such yeah, a like harmful idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that lots of people who are living with disability, like, you know, you think about the way that we didn't have as, as great of a sex education as you could have. And then you consider the fact that often populations with disabilities are completely left out of that conversation. Does that mean they don't have urges, they don't have needs or wants within that space? No, it just means they have no idea how to navigate it. And they're already like fairly aware of the fact they shouldn't be asking about it. You know, like, which is just, Mm. it's so unsafe given that also like for lots of populations, like they're relying on other people to support them. So like you, you need to be able to sort of like give them that like, give them that hand to reach out to be like, hey, these are the things that you deserve to have access to so that they at least know. Yeah, absolutely. And they need to know for their own safety as well. If anything happens to them that, you know, doesn't make them feel good but they don't know how to discuss it or, you know, it's crossing the line of like assault and things, they need to be able to have, you know, the terms for their anatomy so they know what's, you know, what's what and they can explain it and know what is consensual, what isn't consensual, especially when they are in positions that are vulnerable and they are having other people take care of them. Like if they're not given that knowledge... How do you then know that something isn't right for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just like there's a huge aspect of safety there. And I think as health professionals, it can be something that can feel almost untouchable sometimes. Like I understand that I think it's the Royal Commission that sometimes will come out with like reports and things like that. And you see, unfortunately, how large the rates of sexual assault can be in certain populations. And I think then carers sometimes just go, well, like I don't want to touch that and I don't want to be, you know, contributing to the problem. But not addressing it is not preventing the issue, I think. And it's, you know, we, I'm talking about it as far as, you know, like people with disability and us. It's not like that. It's, you know, we're all, we're all people. We all have, we should have the same rights. But it is just like, yeah, it's such a like a complicated, like complicated beast to navigate when you're like, you know, new to the profession or even how you're like coming into sexology now. It's like you have all these things that you're like, I can see, I can see the gaps you know, and it's like trying to figure out like how we insert support <laughs> into different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like the more, it's one of those professions, the more, you know, the more you realize you don't know, the bigger mm-hmm. the gaps seem. And also it's like, how the hell do we fill these gaps? <laughs> like, how can I, like, what, like, how do yeah. I get the resources, the funding? <laughs> like, how am I going to do this? And mm-hmm. it's obviously, I guess, as we you know, there's more sexologists and more people getting interested in this area. We can collaborate and get there. But it is such a daunting thing to look at. Like even us just saying like that clinic would be amazing. It's like, how the fuck do I start that and get all these people together and do it in a way that, you know, is funded by the NDIS and gets all these things and is recognized and is seen as legit. It's, it just seems like this mountain that like keeps growing. And like, even every, 
That was there you go. go. You go. <laughs> I was going to say, like, every step you get closer, you just see all these other things that you're like, mm-hmm. shit, I've got to address that and I've got to address that. Absolutely. Like, and I guess, like, my hope is just that the fact that, you know, people like you and I are having these conversations, like, openly, you know, on, like, on podcasts, but also with people in, like, real-world real situations as well, you just hope that, like, people start to start to shift their mentality around it you just like you hope that the ripple effect is like beginning to happen like and it is one of those things that understanding like we're not going to be perfect at it like because you are like some of the first people to be talking about it and you know I'm not saying there's not OTs out there who are already working with people to you know support them with their sex lives but I think as it is like a developing space, like I think even just sexual wellness is like something that the last few years has been quite a increase of people trying to work mm. in this space. Um, like it, it is something that hopefully, you know, the next generations will have so much more support in and we can just like start to like gradually chip away at the things that we have access to and we can have conversations around like fingers crossed and then people will like it and they can fund things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I just feel like with the work that we're going to do, the people that are going to come into this space, their base level of knowledge is already going to be so much higher. Like I just feel like, yeah, like they're just already, like I feel like everything I've just learned through my sexology course, hopefully one day that's just going to be the general knowledge. Mm. Like I'm even already seeing it in TV shows, um, just the the knowledge that like the the characters are having around gender and sexuality. Heartbreak high. Yes, amazing. Yeah, like even just like watching that, I'm just like, this is brilliant like they just like the conversations around it the representation you're seeing now I'm like this is this is great <laughs> exactly and like when we get to a point that like you know that's then the next baseline we're gonna yeah. be able to go so much deeper and yeah. there's just gonna be so many more like just opportunities to grow and expand in this area which is like so exciting absolutely and you just hope that like after all of this that people are feeling less isolated you know and that they're more connected and they're able to take care of themselves better with the education and the the knowledge that they're going to have after this as well yeah absolutely Mm. I'd love to know like in your opinion like what work still needs to be done in this area of, of like occupational therapy and sexual health um I guess like there's so many different aspects to it that I think could do with some more support um and I just want to like firstly say like I'm not trying to like shit on OTs at all and I'm not you know just acknowledging that it is such a complex space and often with the resources you have in workplaces you just you don't even have the time to address it like it is really depending on your space it's basic and essential and unfortunately sometimes that doesn't fit into like the scope that you've got in the particular workspace but I guess like if we're letting ourselves dream about like what is possible I think that like one of the biggest things could even just be having you know like modules at uni like having it be a part of the discussion openly um, encouraging people to have these conversations and like allowing spaces to get comfortable so like if you think about you know we're coming into you know I started OT and I already like was quite open about talking about these sort of things but I had lots of colleagues or acquaintances who did not feel comfortable discussing these sort of things. But through OT, like you're taught to just get comfortable. Like as far as like we help people discuss how to do toileting, how to have showers, how to get dressed. Like there's lots of other like vulnerable topics that are also quite awkward that like we, we are taught to just normalize, you know, it's like, okay, well, like just try and take away the emotion from it. Make sure that you're, you know, you're calm and you're dressed in this way, like blah, blah, blah we have had lots of those conversations about those sort of topics. And it's just like, if we could just add sexuality into that, 
and you know broaden our understanding of the way that we can talk about these things it's really not that different in that way um and I guess yeah if we just had workshops as far as like education around LGBTQIA plus awareness because most people you know lots of people are a lot more aware these days but I think it's also one of those things like unless you or someone you're close to is living as a queer person or has had experiences in that way, you normally haven't done the research yourself. So like having sort of the same way that you do things like indigenous studies and cultural studies, like almost like queer studies and like how to access sex. And like, just like if there was a whole unit that could like break down that, Mm -hmm. or if there was even like a, like a study process, you know, places like SECA or SECA, they're doing some great work as far as like education around this sort of stuff. But I think more of that and like then allowing the place, like the spaces for like, I'm, I guess I'm just talking OT specifically, like to practice those conversations with each other, like in a safe environment to, to get it wrong, to mess up the wording, to figure out what feels comfortable, you know, and allowing people to make mistakes in an Mm. environment that feels supported before you're then out there potentially working with people very vulnerable, wanting to make sure that you are being as considerate as possible. Like it's so much easier to do that in a safe environment than do that when the stakes are so much higher. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like when we've been brought up in a society where we haven't been taught these things, you're going to make mistakes. I still accidentally misgender people when I know their pronouns Mm. because like I just... I have got 20 years of, you know, this other knowledge of never having considered pronouns and then obviously trying to implement it. Like I still make mistakes. Like it's just one of those things that when you, I guess your subconscious kicks in or you get tired and you're not thinking straight, like you sometimes just make mistakes and trying to be able to implement these things and practice them first in a safe space and just getting used to it and trying to then integrate that into your daily life so then when you do go into these settings you're less likely to make it and even if you do like I guess you know you make these mistakes as long as you can quickly acknowledge it and be sorry like majority of the time most people are so understanding especially Mm -hmm. as this is is a growing space and yeah people are I guess having to get educated around this people are generally pretty you know if they can see you're sincere they're going to be pretty you know like they're going to be pretty okay with that and I think that's the big thing as well is like acknowledging it in the moment like you you know you trip over words all the time and if you make a mistake it is just like being able to like accept your humanness and not beat yourself up so much and just go like oh like you know I'm so sorry I meant this like is this you know is this okay for you just the same way that you would go you know, every time you meet a new client, normally you will like clarify like, oh, do you prefer this name or this name? Like in the same way you do that, you introduce your pronouns, you do the same thing, you know, like, and it's just more inclusive language. I think generally, like I, I remember even just, you know, having hospital stays and having people go like, or, you know, do you have a boyfriend or blah, blah, blah. And I had a girlfriend at the time. And so then it would be like, well, no. And then they've made assumptions about the fact that then I'm not dating anyone. I'm like, oh no, like I, I do have a partner. Like I just, I didn't have a boyfriend like mm-hmm. and I think that's a way that like as health professionals we can be more considerate about using inclusive language because like the biggest thing that I notice is it's like it doesn't hurt anyone to use inclusive language but it greatly supports people that need it so like you know if it's a little bit more brain power for us to go like okay like I need to use my pronouns and I need to make sure that I'm using inclusive language like it's going to take practice but like the people that benefit benefits so much and to everyone else doesn't make a difference like Mm -hmm. so like 
would, would be great. <laughs> I know. I like that's the thing. It's literally a little bit of extra brain power for not even that. Like it's so easy to build habits. Mm, like it's yeah, so absolutely. easy. And like it just takes practice. And the more you do it and the more people around you do it, then it just it makes it easier. Like it's just one of those things that, yeah, it's going to take a little bit of time and practice, but like 100% it's going it supports people so much and is not harmful in any way to like you or anyone else around you to start implementing things that are more inclusive. Yeah, absolutely. And like, even just like, you know, I I don't believe in cancel culture and I don't think that's how we should do it. And so even in that sort of acknowledgement, if you're in a space or in a workplace where you're, you know, using inclusive language and you notice that someone else hasn't like being able to address it in a way that is still respectful you know like it's not about like talking people down and going like we don't do that here like being able to have the conversation those like those little moments of education to go like hey like I I noticed that you said this um you know have you considered being able to rephrase it in this way like blah blah blah. like opening up those discussions so that like people for people that don't know this information sort of like naturally or they haven't sorted out it's scary and they're very like lots of people are very scared to get things wrong so it's like Mm. you have an environment where you know like well I can make a mistake but someone will like let me know and then I can adjust like that also is so much more comfortable to be working in and equally as a as a you know carer I mean or as a client like it it feels so much safer to know that you can ask those questions and not get judged for it. Yeah, absolutely. And because, yeah, I definitely like creating those safe spaces for, for people to ask questions. Because if you're not somebody that, I guess, really knows where to find this information or you're not yeah. surrounded by people who do practice these things, it might be a bit daunting to, like, you know, do it um, and yeah, try and find the right people. So 100%. And I feel like definitely more like there just needs to be so much more like workplace training yeah. and things yeah. like on these topics, yeah. which I know there's a few sexologists in my course that are like that's where they want to go and mm. create create that change because it's so important, like even talking to some of the people in like big corporate businesses, like there's just – such a gap there that needs to like to like be addressed and you would be thinking like you know these big businesses with all this money would be putting it into like their HR and making sure that everyone feels included but they don't like and not in the ways that they need to yeah and it is just like providing them the option like like I do think that lots of people it's like you know they almost don't have enough time to even do the job role they've been given. And so then the moment you go, hey, there's extra things you need to be doing, people are just like, oh, fuck off, you know, like yeah. making it so easy for people to access, you know, you come into their workplace or you maybe you just like have a HR person that is already that person. And so then they're the ones like gradually having those teaching moments with people. Like, unfortunately, like it has to be so accessible. Otherwise people like people don't really want to do it. <laughs> yeah, and often in like these like organizations, it's like the queer person, like, oh, you're queer. Yeah. Let's do this. I want to start this like, you know, diversity yeah. program. Let's volunteer. Open you, to to run You the go school. do that. And I'm not gonna pay you for it. Like I just want yeah. you to do this so my company looks better. Or like I'll give you a little bit extra, but like not enough to cover it. And that's such a burden on people who just want to live their lives as themselves. Like it's exhausting having to be the ones to constantly be explaining these things. Like we need advocates that are the ones out there doing their role. Yeah. 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 A hundred percent. Being the token queer who just like constantly has to have those conversations and like often gets pushed back as well. Like it's like you do need support and there needs to be space for that to be an actual role. (laughs) And it's okay to like, not not have the energy like I guess that's the other thing is like as much as I'm saying this I'm like you also like 
you don't owe that to anyone. Like if you don't have the space and the energy to be turning around and being like nicely correcting people, that's fine. (laughs) That's okay too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Is there anything else in like this space and topic that you want to touch on? Um, I don't think so. I feel like we covered like a lot of things. I guess there's so many things that you could talk about, but just like if if anyone is like interested in OT or they're interested in sexuality to just, I mean, they're more than welcome to message me and I'd, I'd be happy to have a chat about anything. Um, or if there's any jobs out there that are like, hey, we're offering this and we're looking into these things, like feel free to reach out. Like I just think there needs to be, like it's so helpful to have more awareness and conversations around this topic. I'm going to stop the episode right there, Shaggers. Next week, Alicia will be back on and we're talking all about pansexuality, being queer, and also Alicia's experience living with HSV, which if you don't know what that is, it is herpes. So if that is something that interests you, make sure you tune into next week's episode. As always, Shaggers, please reach out with any comments, questions, or stories, either through my Instagram at That's Orgasmic or my email at emilyduncan at thatsorgasmic.com. Please subscribe on whatever platform you used to listen to this podcast and leave a review as I would love to know what you're thinking. So thank you, Shaggers, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>